we are going to be in two places. First, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, 14 through 20, and then Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. We began a series last fall, and that's what this graphic is right here about following Jesus. And we begin with a question, is it possible to live your whole life thinking that you're a Christian, only to find out that you were not a Christian essentially when it's too late? In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in so many words, Jesus is saying that church attendance doesn't make you a Christian. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Praying doesn't make you a Christian. Even praying the sinner's prayer, per se, doesn't make you a Christian. Um, Living a generally moral life, which is a good thing to do, does not make you a Christian. Serving others doesn't make you a Christian. Being a nice person doesn't make you a Christian. And we went through, how would, how would anyone really know I am a Christian? Christ is with me and Christ is for me. And Jesus himself said, and this is in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Luke 9. He said it in all the synoptic gospels. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, the only way to know that you're a true Christian is that you're actually following Jesus. Every Christian is a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. So last fall, we took 13 weeks, I think, to go through this kind of chart, this model, this paradigm. A couple things this morning. I want to review this. I want to show you two cautions. I want to show you one kind of solution to those cautions and then some next steps. So we're taking all of what we did last fall and saying as we come into a new year, And some of you have set New Year's resolutions intentionally. Some of you have not. But just where are we going as a church? What we want to do is say, this is not something that we just went through one time. We're like, that was pretty cool. Those 10 practices there in that circle, all that. But we want to continue to give you resources to implement these things in your life practically. And that's where we're going to land this morning. So by way of quick review, we start on the far left where it says portal. A portal is an entry into something. And what we said there in that message is that discipleship begins not by simply jumping into some of the practices, not, not simply by saying, okay, I need to read my Bible and pray. Now I'm a disciple. But discipleship actually begins 
when you repent and believe, as Jesus said in Mark 1 that Deanna just read for us. Discipleship begins when you change your mind about your sin, your idols, the other things that you're serving and loving with your life, and you turn in trust to the gospel, to the person and work of Jesus. So that's how everyone begins. And then we go to the bottom where it says paradigm. And uh, you can kind of see this on some of these pictures, the, the dark kind of rust-colored trellis here in the middle. The idea is that we are, Jesus said, like branches connected to his vine. So our spiritual growth, our life, our success spiritually, we could say, comes from being organically united to Jesus Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. But you go to a vineyard and you often see these trellises that give shape, they give structure, they get the, the vines up off the ground away from rot and disease and pests and give them an opportunity to be exposed to more sunlight and develop more hardy and uh, kind of bright fruit as they're exposed to sunlight. What we talked about in this paradigm, we're remembering the context in which Jesus taught everything that he taught. So Jesus came at a specific time, a specific place, and he actually followed an existing model of discipleship that was in his world, which was the rabbinic. So Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was also the son of God. He was far more than a rabbi, but he was not less than a rabbi. So he brings this rabbinic model to bear on his followers. And just by way of quick reminder, what that rabbinic model is, is it's much less a lecture format like a modern university, where you just have one lecturer teaching information in kind of an academic setting. You memorize that information, you repeat that information on a test, and your success is determined on how well do you remember information, basically. How well do you use that information? But the rabbinic model of discipleship was more like a, uh, like a hands-on trade program, like learning to weld. So you go and apprentice under a master welder, and they teach you all the ins and outs of welding, and different kinds of welds, and different kinds of metal, and different temperatures that you would use. And you're hands-on experimenting, and learning, and growing, and being tested in that way. Okay, so in this paradigm, these three words at the bottom are very critical, that Jesus is shaping us into an identity, not simply giving us information. So as you want to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian, the idea is he's telling you who you are, not simply what to do or what to say, what not to do, not simply information. He's showing you your real and true identity in him. Um, the next one is lifestyle, not an event. In other words, we don't just like, go to church one time and say there, I check the box, does that make me a disciple? It's like, no, it's an on going thing. We continue to bring ourselves to the presence of God. We continue to read his word. We continue to pray. We continue to serve others. We continue to live on mission all the course of our lives. And then this last word, community, not solo. So we're doing it in community. We're doing it with a family of other people who are trying to follow Jesus together. Then that brings us to the pattern, which is right in the middle of that arrow section. The keywords there are association, education, imitation, and replication. And that would have been very familiar to, again, anyone in the first century who is studying a rabbinic model. They would say, of course, it starts with this invitation, come and be with me. Because again, a big difference between the academic circles of today and the ancient academic circles are today, 
you may be in large lecture classes where it's like, I don't even really have any kind of personal relationship with this teacher. He or she may be teaching 500 or 1,000 students at one time. But in this rabbinic model, that association, that presence, that life-on-life contact was a critical and base component of everything else that was happening in discipleship. So association, be with me. Then this education, and we hear over and over this invitation from Jesus, come and learn from me. So I am teaching you. I'm showing you a way of life that is distinct from the religious leaders of the day. It's distinct from the secular leaders of our day. It's distinct from what everyone else in culture is doing. So learn from me. And then thirdly, imitate me. Be like me. Um, show, show people that you are following a particular rabbi because your life looks a particular way. And this is where I brought up that ancient proverb that said, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. The idea that you're following so closely to this teacher that his dust, as it were, as it's kicked up from the streets and the paths is just getting all over you and people recognize you are with that particular rabbi. You're with that particular rabbinic school because you look like them. You imitate them. There's a likeness. And then finally, replication. So the reminder that your discipleship doesn't end with you personally and just saying, okay, well, I'm growing. That's great. But saying, how am I repeating this into the life of other people? Who am I telling about Jesus? Who am I teaching about Jesus and his words and bringing them along? And that's kind of the pattern. And we, we said that it's, it's somewhat logical and chronological that you would start with being with someone and then learning and then imitating and then replicating. So it's somewhat chronological, but the reality is as soon as you get to two, you're now associating and learning. Well, you're still associating. And then once you get to three and you're imitating now, you're still learning new things, being exposed to new truths and new practices in the way of Jesus. And so even though there's a, a logic and a chronology to these, I want you to think of doing this pattern over and over and over again throughout the course of your life. Okay, then the, that big bubble that's left there at the top were the 10 practices of Jesus. And basically how we arrived at these was reading the four Gospels and other parts of the New Testament in particular, and just saying what were the core things that Jesus himself did and taught his disciples to do. And we landed on these 10 practices. It was interesting. I was going back through the Gospel of Mark this week. And basically everything that Jesus is doing, you could put into one or more of these categories. That he's, he's practicing this life that he calls us to practice. This life of scripture and prayer and whole life obedience and worship and service and generosity and Sabbath and self-denial and forgiveness and mission. This is the life of Jesus. And instead of simply saying, I'm a Christian, the idea of what Jesus is calling us to is then where do you find yourself on this kind of path in this pattern? And where do you see these practices just kind of naturally emanating from your life as you do life with me? So that's a quick review. Um, now let's get to a couple new things this morning. And this, I, I mean for this to be A, very simple, and B, very actionable, something that you can walk out of here this morning being like, okay, taking that pattern from last year, that, that thing, I see this caution in my life because I'm, I'm going to say some of you will lean this way and some of you will lean this way. What do we do about that? And then let's walk out of here with some next steps. So two cautions, and I'm going to start with those that are less common 
and work toward those that I think are more common in our particular culture. And the two cautions are this, empty discipleship and missing discipleship. Those are the two cautions, okay? And I'll explain. Um, Empty discipleship, I think there's actually at least three different forms. So I'll say um, the first empty discipleship form that I would caution you to be aware of is practicing the way of Jesus legalistically. Okay, and the New Testament warns a lot about this. So I imagine it's possible that someone here could think, if I obey God, then God will accept me. God will give me a good life. So if I do those 10 practices, whether I feel like doing them or not, the result should be that God rewards me for doing those things. He saves me perhaps for doing those 10 things. And that's how I become a Christian or something like that. The idea is just simply functionally depending on your own performance of those disciplines or practices instead of depending on the grace of God, which is free. He's already given it to you. He said, I save you by grace. I don't save you by your practices. It's possible that someone here is like, well, I think I'm saved by my practices. The reality is in, I don't know, 20 years of ministry in Denver, I can't remember meeting someone who actually thought that way. I can't remember meeting someone who said or believed, I'm practicing the way of Jesus. I don't have a real faith connection to him. I don't really trust his grace. But I think by my own performance, I can be saved if I do that. But what is more common is what I'll call like a secular legalism that does something like this. It says, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. And the sign in my front yard reminds you and me that I'm aligned on all the important stuff. So if there is a heaven, I'm sure I'm good enough to get in. And the secular legalism is, if there is a God and there is a standard, I think I'm better than enough people that I deserve to get in relative to other people who are really bad people because I do stand for a lot of good things. And and on the whole, I would want our neighbors doing good and moral and ethical things and not unethical things. But that kind of legalism doesn't save you. And my point is your, your practice, that whole bubble at the top, all of the doing of those things will feel empty and vain and frustrating. And like how I'm not really growing if you're doing those with a legalistic mindset of I'll do this. And what I do find more common is not someone who thinks, I'll do this and God will save me. I deserve to be saved. But someone who thinks more like this. And maybe you find yourself here. The kind of legalism that's like, I'm praying about this thing that's important to me and I want God to do this for me. So I'm going to get really, really serious about these practices. And as kind of a reward for doing these practices, God's going to answer my prayers. So it's not trusting God for your salvation, or, or working for your salvation, but it's kind of working for a response from God instead of trusting God with a response that a good father would give to his son or daughter. So that's legalism. Um, a second kind of empty discipleship is practicing the way of Jesus performatively. And I think Jesus talked even more about this. The idea is that as I'm reading my Bible and as I'm praying and as I'm serving in the church and serving outside the church and as I'm being generous And as I'm living my life on mission, the performative piece of this is that really deep down, you might be a people pleaser. 
And you're doing that thing not to connect more deeply with Christ and to know him and enjoy him and trust him and love him more. You just want to be recognized for the things that you're doing. And people look at you and, I mean, don't, if, you, if you knew someone that was doing those 10 practices, you would probably think of that person as like, that's a, that's a pretty mature Christian. Like they should probably be some kind of leader in the church or something. Yes, that could be healthy to practice all those things. It could also be unhealthy if it were performative. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the idea is obviously if you're serving or being generous, there's not a way to do that without doing it in front of other people but you don't have to do it in order to be seen by them and admired and patted on the back. And people think like, man, you're, you're a really solid Christian. I wish I could be like you. So beware of practicing the way of Jesus performatively. Thirdly, pra- practicing the way of, beware of practicing the way of Jesus superficially. And that's simply the idea of the surface level of your life, the veneer of your life looks right, but you yourself know my heart is not in this. I don't want to serve. I don't want to spend time in the Word. I don't care about generosity. All these things that Jesus is calling me to, I don't even really care about associating with Him right now. And Jesus calls this out as well. Mark 7, 6, He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, elsewhere He talked about these sepulchers, these tombs that were whitewashed. So on the outside, they had a veneer. They had a paint covering that made them look clean when, in fact, they were defiled. And he's simply calling us to a consistency of life where the things that we're doing on the surface level are coming from the heart and a relationship with God. They're not just merely superficial. Okay, so practicing the way of Jesus legalistically, performatively, or superficially, that, that doesn't get you there. That's, you'll, you'll do it. You'll feel angst. It'll feel devoid of meaning. You'll be looking at your life thinking like, I'm not really growing. This is not transforming me. I'm not bearing fruit over time. And that's because that's not how Jesus intends for you to do discipleship. That's one extreme. And I said the other extreme, the other caution is to beware not empty discipleship, like doing all the right things for the wrong reasons is a way to think of that, but not even doing the right things. That's missing discipleship. And maybe you even think sometimes, well, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't want to serve other people. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to do the whole life obedience thing because there are things in Scripture that I disagree with, that offend me, that frustrate me, that I don't, you know, I just don't see eye to eye with. And I'd frankly rather skip Sabbath services and Sabbath, my personal rest, and just do what I want to do. I don't want to live on mission. I've got a different mission. And that's the idea of missing discipleship. Simply, I'm not doing the practices that would lead to a life of discipleship. And when I say that you're missing discipleship, I think actually to be more accurate, I would have to say you are missing discipleship to Jesus because you are being discipled by someone or, someone, someone or something else. And I think we let off this series in the fall even saying that, that every single one of you is a disciple, is an apprentice to or of someone or something. That might be an individual 
It might be like a tribe or a political ideology or a cultural group or a social group. But all of you, someone is telling you how to live. Someone is setting a pattern for your life. Someone is telling you if you do these practices, that is the basis and definition for the good life. And if we're honest, for many professing Christians, the real discipleship is simply to American consumer culture. And Christians are really good at consuming. We're really good at knowing, you know, you could fill in that top bubble of practices. Like, what, what do the practices of American consumerism or the American dream, what do those look like? And you follow a certain track that tends to get you there on the whole. Or for many Christians, the real loyalty is to a political party. And I, I'll probably say more about this next week, but I fear for that in 2024, which is a big election year, that your real allegiance would not be to King Jesus, but would be to an ideology on the right or on the left or somewhere in between because you're, you're mellow and chill and you get it, right? For many Christians, the real loyalty is to progressive ideology. It's to a reputation, to, to name enhancement, or just simply to pleasure, Again, if, if you want to talk about having a good time, good experiences, saying no to things that undermine your happiness, your, your finances, you know how to have fun in this moment. Now, this is when I'm talking about missing discipleship. In other words, being discipled by someone or something else. A temptation that some of you may experience is to look at those 10 in the bubble and just think, those are, those are kind of optional. Those are... Uh, like suggestions of if you want to get closer to God. And you may even make this two-tier thing of like, that's for kind of upper echelon Christians who have really arrived. And Jesus would be like, no, 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 like, I mean, look at people called like fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot. These kinds of practices are the practices for every follower of Jesus. The missing discipleship thing, let me just share a couple things that Jesus said in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I told you? You ever feel that? Oh, you're my Lord. Of course you're my Lord. Of course you're my Savior, my God. Come to church and sing about you, read about you sometimes. And he says, but you're not doing what I tell you. And by the way, that phrase, why do you call me Lord and not do what I told you, is immediately followed by a parable that many of you are familiar with. A parable is a short story with a lesson. And the parable that Jesus tells right after saying, you, you say that I'm your Lord, but you don't do what I'm telling you to do, is this parable of two men building their houses, like physical houses. And he says, one is building their house and sinking the, you know, sinking the foundation and the moorings of this house deep into the bedrock. So it's stable and it's firm. And the other one's just building on the beach. You know, it's beautiful. It's right there. What could possibly go wrong? And he says, and the storms of life come, and of course this house that has the foundations on the rock stands firm while the house that's built on the beach is just flattened. It's crushed. And he says, and the distinction in that story is the one building his house on the rock is the one who heard what I said and did it. The one building his house on the sand is the one who heard what I said and just said, I'm not going to do that. Missing discipleship. Missing discipleship is the point. Jesus calls us to these things. 
And to simply say, well, I'll do two of them or three of them or seven of them. That'll get me more of the way there. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You've heard the words over this fall. You're hearing them again this morning. Um, the James one is interesting when he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He also follows up with a parable, a short story. And he says, you know, the person who hears the word of the Lord and is like, I should do that, but then doesn't put it into practice is like someone, he says, who looks at himself in a mirror. You do this in the morning and you're like, ah, oh, there's something in my hair. I should get that, you know, or I need some cosmetics or oh, there's something in my teeth. I should get that out. And before fixing the thing, though, that you needed a fix that was revealed by the mirror, you walk away and get on with your day. And you're in the middle of the day and someone reminds you there's something in your hair, there's something in your teeth, and so on. Okay. It's actually going to be worse than that. The idea is you're like someone who looks in a mirror and he says, my word is that mirror. My word is not trying to polish you up and make you feel really good about yourself today. It's just showing you the truth. This is, this is who God is. This is what God requires. Here's how you're doing. I love you. If you look into that and say, here's how I'm doing. God loves me. I need to change. But I'm not going to do that stuff. He said that's, that's the foolishness of seeing something that needs changed in the mirror and walking away and going about your business. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him. So I started off with, like, could you be a Christian your whole life? Or could you think that you're a Christian your whole life and be self-deceived simply because you prayed a prayer, because you've attended church, you grew up in a home that somewhat honored God? And John, the apostle, wants us to know that we've come to know him. And so he says, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that brings us right back to the middle here of this imitation piece. Like how would I know today that I truly believe in Jesus? And I would say, well, because there's a desire there and there's a reality there that there's, there's an imitation, there's a mimicking I want my life to look like his life. Do you want your life to look like his life? Or is there a missing discipleship? Now, as I've said, obviously you don't become a Christian by doing two or three or seven of the practices. Okay? A Christian, by definition, is someone who is following Jesus and practicing the way of Jesus. So wouldn't you think it's odd if someone says, I'm a Christian, but I don't do that stuff? Uh, it's, it's not that important to me. It's like this. I know my wife, Marty, and I talk to my wife, Marty, but knowing her and talking, her, talking to her doesn't make me her husband. Um, serving Marty doesn't make me her husband. Living under the same roof as her doesn't make me her husband. Loving her doesn't make me her husband. But what would you think if I said, I'm her husband, but I don't talk to her, I don't serve her, I don't live under the same roof, and I don't love her? You would say, something's off. There's a contradiction. Because the relationship 
naturally, with love, leads you into certain behaviors that enable you to grow in a deeper affection for, appreciation for, respect for, enjoyment of another person. And all I'm saying is the same is true with Jesus Christ. That if we're following an apprenticeship to Jesus, it would be a very odd thing to say, well, does prayer make me a Christian? Does does obedience make me a Christian? Does worship make me a Christian? Versus saying, because I'm a Christian, because my life has been saved by grace, I want to do these things. It is instinctive and natural to do these things. So that brings me to this one solution. So whether you, you know, and maybe today you don't find yourself in either of these two camps of like the empty discipleship where you feel like I'm doing a lot of the right things, but my heart's not in it. I don't feel it. I don't want to do it. Or I'm just not doing it, the missing discipleship. Here's one solution, and I call it gospel apprenticeship, okay? Gospel apprenticeship. Maybe the whole series should be called gospel apprenticeship. But how do you avoid both extremes of either doing the right things for the wrong reasons or not doing the right things at all? And I think the answer is this second text that we read this morning, Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. So turn there if you're not still camped out there. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, again, Paul says to the church in Colossae, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the question is, how did you receive Jesus as Lord? He's saying there was this portal, there was an entry into walking with Jesus. You received him at a certain point in time. Now continue this balance of your life in the same way that you received him. And going back to our chart or going back to scripture itself, remember when Jesus was calling those first disciples, what was Jesus' very first message, some of his first words in Mark 1 that we read this morning? Repent and believe. Jesus isn't coming with just a new law and saying, do more or do differently, or accept my advice. He's saying, repent and believe. I'm the Savior, the personal Savior, who's giving my life for you. Just turn from your own way of doing things and trust me. So then, if that's how we receive Jesus, if that's how we start this walk, how do we continue the walk? Well, we continue the walk through repentance and faith. And that simply looks like this. When I find that my heart doesn't want to do those practices or some of those practices, it's okay to acknowledge that. It's important to acknowledge that to God and say, I don't feel like being generous. At the end of the year, Marty's writing checks to these different missionaries that we support around the world. And I'm like, I don't know that I want to be that generous, actually. Got some other ideas of how we could spend that. And you may feel that with generosity or obedience or worship on any given day. Or I don't feel like praying. It feels like there's a stone ceiling over top of me. I'm just not getting through and I don't want to pray. And bringing that to God and just saying, God, I don't feel like doing this practice today. I don't feel like even being associated with you today. I don't want the community of believers today. I feel hurt today. And all of that is an aspect of repentance where we're confessing to the Lord Here's where I don't desire you. Here's where I don't desire the right and healthy things in my life. And just acknowledge that. And ask God to change the way you're thinking. That's what repentance is. It's the change of your thinking patterns. 
And God loves it when we say, instead of it being like, I can change my thinking on my own, when we come to God and say, I can't, I'm trying, would you change the way I think, the way I prioritize, the way my affections work and my obedience works? And he does. So learn how to live this paradigm with the grace of God in mind. Remember that first and foremost, Jesus didn't call these fishermen beside the sea and say, come follow me and learn a bunch of information so that you can regurgitate it on a test. It was more like, come be with me. Come be with me. And let's have an altogether different kind of relationship than you've ever had with anyone because you're present with God. Now listen to me, learn from me. And there's a grace in that. God isn't setting up expectations of like, well, you didn't tell me that that's what your expectation was. There's a grace in communicating what the expectations are. There's a grace in teaching you and letting you put your hands on it and try and fail. And then he lets you try again and you fail and he lets you try again and you learn this imitation thing. And the whole thing is grace. And when I look at really what's the core of this chart, that pattern in the middle I want you to look at this, like, why, why do I want to be with him? Why do I want to learn from him? Why do I want to become like him? Why do I want to teach others about him? And it really all comes back to, because that's how you know and enjoy Jesus. When you're present with him. Sometimes just sitting with him in the quiet and praying and saying, thank you that you're here when I feel like I'm all alone. You've said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And though I don't maybe even feel or sense your presence right now. We are together. You are for me. So enjoy, know Jesus. Walk out these practices day by day. And by the way, as you try to do these practices, kind of an interesting thing, and I, didn't, I don't say this to discourage you, but as you try to do practices, you realize new sins. It kind of it surfaces new stuff that you're like, ah, I didn't realize how selfish I was or how stingy I was or how kind of materialistic I was because some of these are hard to do what Jesus called me to do. And Jesus is using that because he loves you and he wants to sanctify you. He wants to make you more like himself. And it's not this aha, gotcha moment for him. He's just like, I just want you to, at the end of the day, to look like me, to love like me. And when we start doing these things and pressing into these things with accountability in our lives, we start realizing, now I've got more to repent of. I've got more to trust God for his work in my life. And he keeps showing up and I keep growing. And hence this whole imagery of the vineyard and ultimately the fruit-bearing vine. So next steps. I'll give you four quick, simple, actionable S's here in closing, okay? And I'm giving you next steps. I heard this phrase a couple weeks ago that said, said this, most Christians in America are educated well beyond their obedience. What that means is, for most of us, our struggle is not, I just needed more information and then I could have honored God. For most of us, we struggle with just simply doing the things that we already know. We're educated beyond our obedience. And as practical next steps, here's a way to kind of bridge that and go over that and say, I don't want to, I don't want to know all of these things, and then just disobey or kind of not care. What do I do? Okay, number one, strategize. Strategize. Come up with a strategy for some of these practices. And you go through and say, like, not just, okay, Scripture. You're like, no, 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 Scripture, okay? This is what I do. 
It's not like, okay, fine, I'll read my Bible. You ever do this and like, God, just show me something today and you let it fall open. You point to a verse and you're like, that has no relevance to my life. Let's try, let's try again, okay? Let's look somewhere else. Um, strategy looks more like, like what we passed out in the e-news where you say, okay, I'll do the chronological reading plan that has me in the Old Testament and the New Testament five days a week. And maybe I'll fill that in with just some, some pleasure reading elsewhere in the Bible on the other two days or take a break the other two days. But, but you're strategizing. You're having something specific. And instead of being like, okay, I should serve somewhere in the church this year. A strategy is like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the name of the person who schedules set up in hospitality and I'm going to volunteer my time. Or the person who schedules worship and say, how can I get involved with that? Okay. And with Sabbath, it's not just like, okay, I, I just know I need to rest more because I'm always frustrated and frazzled. And I'm filling up all seven days, so I should rest more. It's like, no, I'm going to honor the Sabbath by doing these specific things and by just saying these certain things on the Sabbath are off limits. I'm not going to do them. It's a strategy, okay? Number two, schedule. So when are you going to do it? That thing that you said you were going to do, when are you going to do it? And put it on your calendar, okay? So a, part of, a, a big part of this whole paradigm is the community aspect. So everybody should be in a gospel community group. We've got signups back here in the back that Richard will say more about in closing here this morning. But that's something where I can look at it and say, okay, my group will meet every Monday night at 6.30. And I'm scheduling it. I'm going to read my Bible first thing in the morning. I'm going to spend some time in prayer here. I'm going to serve as the church does these different things. And literally putting blocks of time in your schedule that aren't just, oh, it's discretionary time. Of course I'll read my Bible somewhere in there. Of course I'll worship somewhere in there. It doesn't hurt to schedule it and say, when am I going to do that? Put it on the calendar. Three, step, okay? Don't keep staring at this whole big daunting thing of like, how am I going to read the entire Bible this year? Just take a step and read Mark chapter 1, okay? That was the, the first day's reading in the New Testament, Genesis 1 through 3, okay? Um, you take a step and then another and then another. I mean, there are different social psychologists who say that a habit, and I've heard the, the 2190 rule, I've heard the 66 rule, point being, those are all days, um, point being, it takes a number of days and weeks and probably months to form a new habit. But you can't stare at this whole daunting thing and be like, 90 days to get in the habit of praying in a different way than I've been praying. That's a lot. Well, take a step. And that was kind of where we ended last week with the will of God. Take a next right step in faith, and God will honor that. He'll meet you there. And then fourthly and finally, share. What I mean by share is tell a friend what you're going to do. And invite them to be a part of that. So you can say, hey, friend, this is, this is the Bible reading plan I'm going to do. Like, do you want to do it with me? And they might be like, no, but let's get together once in a while and talk about, like, the, like I'm not your like, accountability partner, but come to me and share some things that you're learning. As you strive for specific practices of generosity, for example, or specific new practices of Sabbath, Share that with someone. Here's how I'm going to honor the Sabbath in this coming year. And then get together. Not as like, well, how did you do? Like, one of you is not leading the other. You're just friends. It's like, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I support you? How can I encourage you? And, and then vice versa. Take, take turns with this sharing. Because you'll find that I'm not just a branch growing on the vine. I'm one of many branches. And when I find this camaraderie, 
this community, this friendship, this fellowship in doing these practices of Jesus, like A, it's a lot more fun, and B, it's a lot more effective. So this morning, take your next right step in faith. Don't just let this be something that's parked back in the fall of 2023, but see that the, the pattern and the path of following Jesus, it's got to be empowered by, and it's got to be motivated by grace. Repent and believe. Next right steps.